1: Welcome to the Man Card Podcast and our mission to build an army of men in the arena who are becoming the best version of themselves in changing their world. Males are born, but men are made.
0: We're going to separate the men from the boys.
1: A man is as a man does. We want to help you to become the best version of you. Theodore Roosevelt spoke about this rare breed saying, The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. That's awesome. The man card belongs to those protecting integrity, fighting apathy, pursuing God passionately, leading courageously, and finishing strong. A man is as a man does. Enjoy today's episode.
0: Men in the Arena Army, we we salute salute you. Guys, we honor you today because you are A part of the men in the arena who are grinding it out in a stress bubble of life. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Man Card Podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our goal from Epi's every episode is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless, male-dominated bleachers, and to call you up to the absolute best version of you because a man gets it. Everyone, Everyone wins. wins, man. You're a little bit out of sync, boys. Yes. Hey, I'm Jim Ramos. I'm here with the mix master, Doctor Pat George. <laughs> how you doing, Doc? I'm good today, man. Thanks. Good, man. Liking that yellow shirt? Yeah. See that? I can't wear yellow. It, it washes out my face because huh? I'm more of a winter. Yeah, it's light. I just summer. broke a man law. Yeah, right there. So yeah, you did. Anyway, <laughs> my, my favorite my favorite color is camo, but uh, yeah, it's actually is First that... Light's Fusion Camo is my favorite color, but that's oh. a, that's a different story. So, hey, Dale, how you doing, my man? The backbone co host. Producer and friend. I got bark dust on my mind.
1: I can't wait to get out of here and go shovel some more bark dust. I, was,
0: I heard that song on the radio the other day. I've got bark dust on my mind. Yes? <laughs> I've you? not heard that I one. Know. Are you went, serious? I just went to the foot doctor yesterday, and I think he pulled out a big splinter in my foot or a piece of porcelain. Something was going it's on. probably like, when you bark dust, out of bark, dust. bark dust my bank. Yeah,
1: I'm excited. I no longer have the worst-looking yard in my neighborhood, so that's an accomplishment. And it, you know, the guy across the street—wow, there's
0: a high and lofty goal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't want to look like I live. Uh, come on, man!
1: Not only are the weeds pulled out of my yard, I did not torch a tree in front of my house. Okay, under a that's power something line. that nobody knows about. No, I'm yeah. telling you, my neighbor <laughs> was out there, and I was doing my park test, and I heard some yelling. I look over, at his palm tree is engulfed in flames, and it's torching right underneath power lines. And I'm like. <laughs>
0: That's God's way of punishing anybody in Oregon who has a palm tree. Has a tree. palm tree. Send that back to California where it belongs. Not okay. native. Not so. native. Yeah, that's like having yeah, a anyway. Prius. Get it out of here. Life is good. Send it back to the city. Yes. Life is good. Good kitty. Good kitty. Okay, <laughs> kick that cat. Hey, uh, you got a man word for me today?
1: Yes. Uh, I've struggled with this because I'm trying to find the right word. So. Oh, I get a pick. Oh, you can. But I was trying to find the right word to say this word. So that it makes sense. So you might have to help me out here. Go ahead.
0: The word I am going to choose is loneliness. So
1: the we want a man word, right?
0: But men are men are lonely yeah. and they're battling loneliness. Okay, I think. so but I, was trying, not, me, I, I like was trying to go with the opposite. Don't diss me. I just I was
1: trying to go with the opposite. of Fellowship. Okay, there you go. Fellowship. That's I was th- buddy doesn't sound right. Partner doesn't Band sound of brothers. right. Brothers. But that's two words. So
0: that's fellowship. That's, I'm that gonna is, go with fellowship. That is two words: band of and brothers. Two words. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's two. right. That counts as two. But, uh, man, we're having a rough day over here, Dave. <laughs> oh, man, I'll tell you, what, we haven't yeah. drank enough caffeine. Man, I don't know. Oh, I need so. to go kill something. I think that's my problem. No, nah, we need fellowship. <laughs> Deer season's getting close. Being
1: alone is not a good thing. Um, it, that's when our mind starts to wander. Yep, sometimes yep, and we yep. start to think things that are not true, um, and we get ourselves in trouble.
0: Well, Pat and that's I have good. talked about this. You begin to build these false narratives, too. You begin to yep. process things that aren't reality, and they build. That's so, exactly. So you yep. need people around you to say, well, that, that bro is not real. Yep. That's that's fake. Fake news. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's really good, man. I really appreciate that. And so well, we've got an expert today in being alone because this guy – I'm just so excited about this guy, man. So, hey, before we get into our interview with Dave McIntyre, I want to encourage you guys to get on the Men in the Arena Facebook Forum. If you have not done so, do it. If you don't have a Facebook profile, build it. It's easy. Get on there. And uh, I say it's easy. I have no idea how to do that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, go on there and interact with men from all around the world as we dialogue about what a a man is and does. And so, hey, I'm excited today about my new friend Dave McIntyre is on our show. Let me read you about this guy. This is really really cool. He's 52 years old, so the best year ever. Graduate high school in 1984, I'm assuming. The best graduating class ever. Oh, come on. We've got Cindy Crawford. We've got Van Halen's album. And we have (laughs) the book written 1984. So can your graduating class say that? No, it can't. So shut up. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, so he lives in a Grand Rapids, Michigan. (laughs) I I graduated in 84. You (laughs) did? From chiropractic. That's why we're best buddies. Oh, I just lost the sound of it. From chiropractic Yeah, but it was 19. Oh, okay. Welcome to to the tribe, brother. Yeah. Welcome to the jungle. Yes. Hey, so so Dave is a wilderness survival instructor, public speaker, and writer. I just found out that he was a writer, and I'm going to buy his uh, three-book uh, uh, series. I'm really excited about this book series. We'll talk about it in a little bit. He's been doing that for 15 years, and he just finished a recently a book called The Fall Series, three volumes. So this series is a post-apocalyptic fiction series, which I love those Dave combines his interest in wilderness survival, firearms, and small unit tactics with his love of people and the human condition to create compelling characters and storylines. Now, tell me that's not a book that you would love to read. Yeah. I mean, I say book. It's like The Lord it's, of the Rings. It's three books. Yes, I want to watch absolutely. the movie. There's a movie. Yeah, I want to watch the be. movie. And there should like, Wow. Be. <laughs> well, then, and then it says it says right here. And I love this. I'm going to ask you about this later, Dave. Uh, in in the description, I think you wrote this. If your personal apocalypse doesn't bring out your personal best, you won't survive. Mm, I just think so that's a powerful statement. Yeah. Rather than becoming animals, Dave's characters explore what it means to be a full, be fully human. Mm. Man, that's so cool. That's good. Uh, so as far as accomplishments, being a father. 15 years of missionary service in Brazil, and he is the winner of the Alone series season two. And so that's that's what we're going to kind of dive into. And so for those of you who don't know, Alone is an awesome survival show on the History Channel where 10 people are taken into the woods and left alone to fill their experience surviving by themselves with minimal gear. David spent an astonishing 60 six days on Vancouver Island by himself and won a cash prize of, it was only 500,000, no big deal. So his passion and mission in life is to strengthen men in the process of brokenness. Now, isn't that the perfect guy to have on our show? Absolutely. I mean, because we're all about men becoming the best version of themselves, but through that, they have to work through their brokenness. They have to work through these things. And so Dave, man, we're so excited to
2: have you on the show. How are you doing, my friend? Well, thanks for having me out. It's, it seems like it's going to be a, a wild podcast.
0: <laughs> well, I think it's, I'm excited to have you on the show. And just because you bring something really unique to our show, uh, you have lived out one of my greatest fears in life and, and something I challenge myself to do every year, which is going out in the wild and seeing if I can make it. And so, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. And uh, so, I'm really excited. We're going to throw you into our rapid fire round to get started. Okay. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay, man. So what I've done is I've, I've called this the stoic round because you've been alone. You were alone in the wilderness for 66 days. You had to be philosophical or stoic to survive this thing. And so I just want to ask you five questions and just uh, no answer is a wrong answer. So here we go. Number one, right now, what's on your heart?
2: What's on my heart is uh, to see my two grandkids grow up in a stable situation. Oh, wow. Well, now, how many kids do you have? I have three kids, and uh, my two daughters both had babies this year. And how old are all your are your children? Uh, twenty six, nineteen, and seventeen.
0: So you're right around where I'm at. We're at we're at roughly twenty, twenty two, and twenty four. I have three sons. So, right. And so, yeah, and I'm, yeah, that
2: that's my heart right now is to see uh, little Zoe and Matthias uh, just getting a good start in life.
0: Man, that's awesome. That's I, I'm a grandparent too, and uh, man, those grandchildren change things.
2: Oh, it's way better than being a dad.
0: Yeah, it is. They, you hear these stories. Oh, I spoil them and send them home. And I'm like, I don't know what that means, but stop feeding my kid chocolate, dad. And so now I'm that guy, right?
2: Right. <laughs> I love it. Hey, it's so. Better than being a crazy uncle.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, hey, Dave, who's your greatest hero and why?
2: You know, in a survival sense, uh, uh, Shackleton. Oh, oh I North Pole? Ernest, no, South Pole. Ernest South Shackleton. Pole. South Pole, wrong pole, sorry. Yeah. When I, when I think about all the all the different things the 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 grueling experience of being in in a survival situation, you look at the Shackleton uh debacle where they you know, were crushed their boat was crushed in the ice, and they spent all that amazing time out there and didn't lose a man to Did me not. that is just an example of leadership and endurance and uh yeah,
0: and do you remember the ad that he wrote to get those men? Do you remember what that said? No, I do not. It basically said little pay. Uh, high chance of death, you know. Uh, don't know where we're going. Don't know we'll be back. Who wants to go? <laughs> and all these right. guys signed up, and he never lost a man. It's just, it's just amazing. Yeah. So um, hypothetically, Dave, haha, if you were alone on an island and only could bring one thing, what would it be? I know you brought ten on your adventure with alone, but if you could only bring one thing, what would it be?
2: Uh, it depends on the island, of course. But uh, my machete. I have a custom uh machete optimized machete of my own my own design and uh yeah I would definitely take that if I could only take one thing and you're going to drop me on an island I'd take my machete not a machete my machete
0: how is your machete different do you have a picture of it or do you have it with you
2: uh no I do not have it with me um it's a 14 inch blade with a with a golock profile that the the point turns down at the front but it's got uh every inch of the of the blade on the spine and the the blade is optimized for the way I use the blade. You know, normally I would I would carry two blades in the bush, one for making things and one for breaking things.
1: Oh. Okay, I carry
2: an axe or a machete for tearing apart the wilderness and then a very sharp, scanty-edge bushcraft knife for creating the things I want. And the way I've got this blade set up, that it does the work of a smaller knife in terms of wood carving and, and precision carving. Yeah, because 14-inch a, blade, yeah.
0: that's almost a Bowie blade. I mean, that's a little bit bigger. It could It could mask itself as a knife, right?
2: Yeah, fourteen inches is is enough of a. It but it's forward weighted, so it it hits harder than a oh, more blade of that length.
0: Oh, that's awesome! I'm gonna go oh, on. Yeah. I, I I saw the axe. I'll have to go look at this online. I'm sure I can. I'm gonna go watch these episodes and I'm gonna binge watch it. I'm gonna. Yeah. Our, this is the only thing I'm gonna give our, our listeners an approval to binge watch. Yeah. Alone, alone season two on the History Channel. So
2: it's out on Hulu right now. Really? Oh, good. Season 2 was on Hulu. So, yeah, you can watch it if you have Hulu.
0: How about... Okay, I don't have Hulu. I have Amazon Prime. Yeah. Anyway, well, we'll find it. it should, it's yeah, on we'll History Channel. It. I've got that on my yeah. on-demand. So, hey,
2: what's your all-time favorite quote, Dave? My all-time favorite quote is uh, the man in the arena, the one that you <laughs> guys use on the show. Here. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Because especially after... If, if you, the TV survival guys get a lot of criticism. And every... Every armchair expert comes out Hmm. and rips you to shreds when you're on a show like this. So, yeah, that's that quote was very much on my mind.
0: Yeah, it's there's always somebody who's going to say it's not the critic who counts, it's the guy who's actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust dust and sweat and blood. And then Dale says, That's awesome. And it is. And so, no, that's cool. Hey, so Dave, if you are, so we're both 52 year old men, right? So, if you were to travel back in time 32 years, to your twenty-year-old self, what advice would you give that guy?
2: Wow, I, I've thought I'm a I'm a science fiction nerd, and I I have often thought it if I could go back and talk to my twenty-year-old self, what would I say? And uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't try and warn myself off from the mistakes because they've made me who I am. You know, I, I wouldn't change a thing in terms of that regard. But uh, love more, worry less engage more fully Mm. that's exactly
0: what i would tell mine my 20 year old self we must have uh, we must have uh, had some similar paths cross or something so hey dave uh and i I, as i researched you and 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 searched around the internet there is a vulnerable part to your story Uh, i have not read about that part but i could sense that there is a vulnerable part of your story in there and you just brought it out again can you just take five minutes and tell us about your story and what what i mean by that is you know share your personal life the things you enjoy hobbies whatever you would want to share with our men in the arena about who dave mcintyre is we'd love to hear it right now
2: i've had these two parallel tracks in my life that have been going since i was a, a, a kid i received christ at 15 years old and my love for for christ has been like one rail of those train tracks and the other is my love for the wilderness and it's i think it's by design that those two things kind of uh engaged in my life at about the same time, about 15 years old, that they became like the tracks of, of my life. And basically they've marked everything I've done all the way through uh, you know, as a, as a missionary in Brazil and running a wilderness survival school and wilderness ministry in, in, in Brazil. And then coming out of that, uh, those are the two things that survived the end of my career as a missionary and the end of my marriage. And then being picked up by the alone show and being a, being put out there uh, to tell my story and to, to to be seen on this show and and have both those things uh, express themselves to such a large audience was amazing for me. Um, I'm a very simple person. I'm not very complicated. You know, I'm a meat and potatoes kind of guy. I don't have expensive tastes. I don't want to live in a big house. I don't want to drive the latest model truck. I want a jeep that gets me where I'm going. I Want to live in a house that keeps me dry, safe, and warm. You know, I love to travel. I uh, I do speak fluent Portuguese, so Brazil is a place where I'm still very uh, very much in love with and very sad for sometimes, to see the things that are going on down there and to, with my friends and all, but for me, I'm, I'm, I'm a terrain junkie. I, I can't look at an area or a wilderness area and not just imagine what it would be like to survive out there and what it would be, what does it take to live in that area, and I'm never comfortable living in a new place until I know how to survive in the wilderness there. And that is just to me that that really lights a fire under me that humans have been in we have colonized before the industrial age, every area of the planet, which is habitable by human beings, uh, you know, with the exception of Antarctica and, and with Shackleton, that was his, uh, you know, he, he basically colonized Antarctica and proved that we can survive there. But um I've always been amazed by that, that we that human beings with just their their hands and their brains can go into any ecosystem in the world and uh, raise their babies there. And that just really fires my rockets.
0: Well, you said that uh, you have run two parallel tracks with your life, your love for Christ and your love for the wilderness. You know, John Eldridge, in his book Wild at Heart, have you read that book? Yeah. So he talks about when God made Eve, he made her in the garden, but when God made Adam, he made him in the wilderness, do you think there's something inherent like these paths, Christ in the wilderness? Do you think they enter? You said they're parallel, but do you think they intersect with a man because men were made and formed in the wilderness? Do you think there's something about a man who has this inherent desire to
2: go deep in the woods? You know that that is something which, if you have, if you spend time in the wilderness, especially by yourself, the longer you're there, the more you start you begin to access that uh, I call it Homo Sapiens 1.0 programming. You know that's the mm. There is this primal programming that is in there that we all have. And it, I think it influences us in different ways. Uh, it, it expresses itself in different ways in different men um, in our in, within the struggles and the stresses that we have. But to, to be able to let that guy off the leash, to mm. be in the wilderness long enough to start feeling that programming come to the forefront and to be able to think and, and feel and act and react and live by your instincts – it's like a drug and that was the for me the one of the most amazing things that happened on vancouver island is that guy i got to let that guy off the leash and take off the muzzle and and just let him run and it feels really really good and i think i think men don't know how to it comes out in bad ways it comes out as aggression it comes out as womanizing it comes out as uh you know excess when uh when you're running when you're allowed to run on instinct and have to run on instinct you're people would think it's like savagery or brutality, but it's not. It's just, you're being fully masculine. You know, when you, you see an animal and you, you do chase it down and you kill it and you eat it and there's no sense of aggression towards that or, or, or you're not, it's, it's very hard to put into words. It's just, I'm the man and you're the, you're the rabbit and that's just the long and short of it. You know, that's just the way it's going to be, you know, and, you appreciate nature for what it is. You appreciate the sacrifice that animal made, but you also cook him up and have a grand time yeah, eating know. it, you know, and that is, there's nothing wrong with that. And so, I think that, that men have to be allowed to experience that, that part of their personality.
0: Do you think part of the issue of this, uh, the big catchphrase nowadays is tos- toxic masculinity? Do you think that part of this is not the wild in a man, but the domestication of man, I mean do you think a man that's been neutered is more in danger of hurting those around you talk about the no, brokenness of no, men.
2: No, I don't no, the talk of neutering men that really that really gets me uh angry and and this idea of toxic toxic masculinity I don't think it's so much that masculinity is toxic it's just been kept right. in this festering bucket and it's it hasn't been allowed out, and you know it's going to stink okay when it does finally come out of that oh, bucket it's good. not going to be good. Dogs, you know, the worst thing in the world is a bored pit bull. Believe yes. me, I've owned. You don't want to have a bored pit bull. He will find a way to express who he is. Now, is that toxic pit, bullish, you know, pit bullishness? No, it's just a he's bored and he's going to act up. And there's he doesn't have an outlet for that, you know. And, and I think men need to have that outlet. They need to be able to go out and be men and not be seen as something dangerous. I think the more you repress it, the more dangerous it becomes when it does act out. Man, that
0: is that is so good. I've never had a guy describe it that way. And there's that's my wife will say to me at times, "You need to go hunting. You just need to get away." Mm-hmm. And and I've done I, I last year uh, I arrowed uh, a 306 elk, a beautiful Pope and Young bull. I hunted 2 days at a buddy's place. It was a super easy hunt. And I walked away from that going, I need to go in the hills and chase something down and do something really, really hard. Because even though I got the trophy, I didn't have a chance to pay the cost. Somebody else right. paid the cost. Does this make sense? I had a friend's ranch. Yeah. And and so there is something within a man that wants to do hard things. How is our society taken that away from us? And I'm not blaming society. I'm just saying you talked about we've been able to go into every culture and tame it and claim it. But how is that ability for us to civilize our environment hurt a man? Or has it?
2: I don't, I don't, I don't have a good answer for how can men uh, do that in their, their normal lives. Not, not for every man. I know for me it does involve me getting out and, and going into the woods and being alone and, and doing those things. Um, I just... I, you know, we're, we're afraid to talk. We're afraid to speak our minds. We're afraid to engage with people the way we want to engage. And we just push that down all the time, and uh, society uh, you know, it, it's we, we have all these barriers placed up around us, you know, and uh, there used to be, it used to be a time when a man could haul off and belt another man. <laughs> you know what I mean and because and, and every other man present would understand and say, "Yeah, you know I, I get it why you did that." And there would be no censure because there were lines that were not crossed, and and we were so oh, we're so repressed now and held it held in that it becomes, you know, when, when that natural masculine productive aggression does come out, it doesn't come out in a positive way.
0: Well, you know, it's really interesting that you say that because I'm not a, I would call myself a lover, not a fighter. I've never really had to fight. I'm not the kind of guy people naturally pick a fight with, but my kids, I raised three sons and we had a trampoline in the backyard with that net around it type of deal. And when my children would, and they're pretty close in age, when they would get in a fight Mom's first reaction is to, to dispel the fight, not fight. What I would do is say, well, now, hold on a second. All they're agreeing on right now is they're going to fight. So let's put them in the trampoline and let them have at it. And so what would happen is nine out of ten times they diffuse the situation before the fight happened because as soon as you get in the trampoline, it was like the you know little neighborhood version of the octagon – when those kids step in there, one of them is going to lose and it'll never be the same in that relationship again. So they would tend to right. negotiate before they got into the arena, right? And so I really, you know, we think we're really, we're really, we're really afraid of allowing our, our, our men, our children to, to engage, right? It's going to make them a better, worse person. But really, sometimes that's the very thing they need to do.
2: It reminded me of a story. My dad was sitting in the kitchen one time. We had a forest out behind the house and my, my, Older brother came walking out of the forest and our next door neighbor boy came walking out after him. And the next door neighbor, Billy, threw a rock at my brother and hit him in the back of the head. (laughs) And my dad's watching this. And my brother turned around, walked right up to Billy and flattened him with a punch, knocked him right down. And my dad thought, okay, I better get out there and stop this. He steps out, looks over, the next door neighbor's father, Billy's dad, was watching the whole thing too. And they're looking at each other and uh, they just said, yep, okay, looks like they've resolved it, you know, get in the house, boys. And that's where it was. Now that was, what, you know, 40 years ago. Yeah. Today, their police would be there. You know? <laughs> Little Billy the dad- be all the way No, today, the dads wouldn't even be on the scene, and two moms would be there calling the police. Well, I had a situation
0: uh-huh. about five years ago where my 19-year-old son liked a girl who did not like him. She liked another guy. And so those two guys were going at it. So the one boy was 21. My son was 19. They weren't physically fighting, just verbally fighting. And I had the 21-year-old son, call- dad, called me. And I said, "Listen, your son is an adult. Let these boys deal with this on their own. I'm I, my kid's an adult, and I think sometimes we tend to we live in a world for some reason, Dave, that that bulldozes down the the problems our kids have. Right? Oh, there's a jungle. Don't go in the jungle. Let me bulldoze it down first. Oh, whoa, whoa, don't 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 do this. Let me helicopter over you and make sure everything's okay first. And so, hey, I, I'm really resonating with this, but I want to stay on task a little bit because because you won this show uh, alone, season two. You won this series." And and I am just so intrigued by it. Can you walk us through your journey a little bit of how you got on got in this show and and how things transpired?
2: Uh, okay, got to go back to 2015. I was yep. I had just lost my job. I was in, inspecting foreclosed homes here in Michigan, and we lost the contract for Michigan and 17 other states, and I was out of a job. And I had the uh, the fall series was a. Uh, I had written the first three volumes of it there. I'm planning six in that. And I, I didn't have them ready to publish yet or to put up on, on Kindle. So I figured, okay, I'll take some time off. I'll just write and I'll do that for a while. And then I alone got in touch with me. I got a Facebook message. They said, Hey, can you, uh, you look like a great candidate for the show. Could you apply? And I'm like, I had never heard of the show before. It hadn't aired yet. Season one hadn't aired. And I looked at it and I, I saw, okay, up to a year in the wilderness, any wilderness area in the world. um, very limited gear, no contact with the outside world, uh, self documented, no crew on scene, I and mean, that really intrigued me. I thought that was fantastic. And then they said half million dollar cash prize, and I was like, <laughs> "Okay, I mean, this is like a hail mary pass at life, you know? I, I, I can." the The wilderness part of that did not intimidate me at all. Um, I, I knew I was uh, at that point. I was divorced, maybe two and a half years, and uh, had just lost my job. It seemed like the perfect time to attempt to do something like this. So I applied and I went right through the casting process. I uh, I applied in I think March and in August they called me up and invited me to boot camp. So 3,500 people applied for the show for season 2 and they took out of that they they took 20 people to New York for boot camp and out of the 20 people that went to boot camp, 10 would be on the show. So I got out there and, uh, I met all the other contestants, well, the potential contestants, and there's some extremely talented and experienced people in that group. And, uh, I did very well at boot camp. You know, they, they, I can't tell you all the things that we did, but, um, you know, you have psychological evaluations and physicals and interviews and camera aptitude training and these different things. Then they take you out to the bush for two days and they put you through basically like an advanced survival course, but they're not teaching. They're just telling you what to do and evaluating your, your progress and the more they told me about the show, the more I wanted to be on it. And I remember praying. I said, Lord, if you do not want me on this show, please just pull back and let me fail. But if, if, the, if they offer me a position on the show, I'm going to take it. And I just upfront it with God. You know, I'm not going to overthink this, okay? If, if I get a chance to do it, I'm going to do it. If I don't get a chance, okay, that was your will. And I did very well at boot camp. I felt like he really blessed me there. And right after uh, boot camp, I came back to Michigan, and they, they uh, offered me a position on the cast as one of the 10 contestants. Well,
0: you, you said on another interview, you listed uh, numerous reasons for co- going on the show. And one of them was healing from the trauma of the past two years. Oh yeah. Uh, are you willing to share some of that, with that meant? Is it, is that sure. your job loss or is there something more going on there?
2: Oh, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. Um, as I, as was mentioned earlier, I was a missionary in Brazil for uh, 15 years, uh, from I was there from Brazil from 1990 to 1992, and then we went back in 1999 until 2012. Wow. And I loved my career in Brazil. I loved being a missionary. I loved living there and running. I was a, a pastor, a youth pastor, and I had a wilderness survival ministry that I ran. And in 2012, uh, well, there's an awful lot of things that were horrible that happened to us in Brazil, and that's not the kind of thing I want to go into on, on a podcast. I think it's important to know that Uh, adultery was not part of this. I never cheated on my wife. I didn't lose my ministry. It's so cliche almost that someone lost his ministry because of adultery. And that, that was not, not the case. But, um, yeah, some serious attacks on our family and, uh, things weren't handled very well with, uh, various people that weren't in authority over us. And it ended up that, uh, that and other factors. And of course my contribution as a, as a failed human being, my wife, uh, decided to divorce me in 2012.
0: And so that pulled the rug
2: that. Up from under. That pulled the rug out from under the ministry for me. Yeah, and that's why I wound up here in Michigan. I got a job inspecting foreclosed homes, and for me, going out to the bush had always been a very healing time. I'd, even in Brazil, when the stress of the ministry got too much for me, I would go out for a couple of days by myself in the bush, and it always reset my clock. It always, you know, recharged my batteries and gave me a fresh perspective. And I'd always wondered how long would it take before that positive thing became the negative thing. Uh How long, being alone in the wilderness has always set me on an even keel. How long would it be before that was the thing that was doing the damage? And I I think I found that out during that 66 days.
0: Well, you said uh, also another reason for uh, going on the show. You listed several, but two stood out for me. me. The second one that stood out was You talked about the school of suffering and the problem of pain and you said the greatest things you know you learned in the intense suffering talk us through that
2: absolutely um that's the the basis of my wilderness ministry the name of of my wilderness ministry was uh, per Ardua, which is latin for through difficulty which is also the mcintyre family motto and that idea has been on my mind for a long time that the the hardest things i've dealt with in my life uh, the first year we were married, we lost twin girls, you know, and oh. that was a very, a very hard thing to go through. Um, later in later years, uh, we had an, an adoption fall through and uh, the things that have challenged me the most and, and brought me the most stress have also forced me to my knees. And when you're, you know, when, when, when God is landing blows on you and, and he does do that, you go into a clinch. You, know, you don't back, back pedal. you don't you don't get your distance, you go into a clinch as, as, as close as you can and it just cling to him and that's where you learn the, the greatest lessons. that's where you, you learn how to draw strength and and actually depend upon the wisdom of another rather than your own. and those are the situations that force force me to my knees and that's where I have always found the most strength is well, you, in close s- proximity to God.
0: You said that when God is landing blows on you. Now, I had a conversation with somebody I really care about several years ago, and when I said I said something like that, why I asked this person, so why would God be doing this? Why is God allowing this in your life, right? And the comment right. to me was, "Oh, God would never do that," and I, and I think we've got our theology messed up, right? So where does suffering? fit into manhood, and where does suffering fit into how God, you know, you have this machete, you forged the blade, you made it. How does, how does manhood, how does suffering forge us into the men that God wants us to be?
2: Mm. You know, you, you wonder if, if people have read their Bibles. You know, <laughs> look, at, look at the Apostle Paul. The man was stoned to death in Lystra. They, they quit throwing rocks at Paul when they believed he was dead. Then they threw his body into the town dump. This is a man who suffered. You know, I, I was asked a, a very intriguing question early on in my, before I was being called to, to be a missionary. Do you want to play a minor role in the redemptive history of mankind? Whoa. Do you want to play a minor role in the redemptive history of mankind? Now, now think about that. To play any role is an honor beyond anything. But then you look at the people who played the major roles in the redemptive history of mankind, and you see the greatest amount of suffering. Mm-hmm. And the greatest suffering of all was reserved for God's only Son, Christ, who was crucified to play that role. That, you look at the oh. Apostle Paul, stoned to death, shipwrecked, I mean, just you name it, thrown in prison, whipped 40 lashes, how many times? <laughs> you know, suffering is something—suffering it, breaks us of being— dependent on ourselves because God will land blows on you that bring you to a point where you cannot deal with it. And people, people say this all the time and I just want to smack them. There's that, you know, landing a blow on (laughs) God. will never give you more than you can handle. Oh, really? (laughs) really? (laughs) Okay. I I, tell that, tell that, tell that to the mother who's lost her child. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. God will never give you more than you can handle. Mm-hmm. Tell that to the guy who wakes up in the morning and realizes, yeah, his leg is still not there. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's not true. God will give you more than you can handle. In fact, it's 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 in black and white in Scripture. Mm-hmm. That's okay, good. that's good. We would not have you ignorant, brothers of the the suffering we we went through in in the province of Asia. That God gave us, we, we were brought to the very edge of death. Much be greatly beyond that which we could handle. Oh man, that's You know, so and that will do that to us. And now now what that what's he doing? That's the question. Is he will strip away everything you are standing on for your identity or for your sense of strength or sense of purpose that is not him?
0: That is really I really appreciate. he strips away. Hey, let me let me go to our sponsor break and I'm going to come right back and pick up where we left off. The Man Card Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that's building an army of men who are becoming the best version of themselves and changing their world. The war to change your world is epic. Every battle counts and every man in the arena matters. So get in the game by joining our closed Facebook forum for men called The Men in the Arena. There, you'll lock arms with men from all around the world who are stepping up as their best version. What is a man? What does he do? How does he live? When does he know when he's crossed over from male to man? The lines defining manhood have become blurred, and guys today are more confused than ever. That's why I wrote The Man Card Five Characteristics Separating Men from Boys. Guys, you're going to love this book. Go to the Great Hun Forgot app or mancardpodcast.com and pick up a copy today no book written defines manhood in such a way as this i'll put the man card next to any book ever written on the topic yes i believe it's that good in the man card i expose several myths of manhood and draw a line in the sand between men and males this book will change your life guys thank you so much for jumping into the arena with us today and championing the greatest battle of our time become your best version join the fight to change your world because when you get it everyone wins So so you just said that God will strip away things and then and then you all I th- there's a there's a church movement going through our country that I have openly rejected. And that movement of churches, they tend to be very very large churches, but the inherent message in these churches is if you just accept Christ, he'll make everything better. And I would say in my life he made everything worse. I mean, he ruined my plans. My plans were ruined. All my college sure. buddies are making you know, six figures now, five, six figures, and I'm sitting over here trying to figure out sometimes how to pay the mortgage because of the, the, the path God put me on. And so I, I wonder if that's the right message. Maybe the better message is, you know, Shackleton's message. Low pay, <laughs> chance of death, high risk, may not return.
2: I'll well, sign up. If you ask God, and I'm sure you did this at some point, Lord, I want your very best for my life. And we've got a concept of what that's going to look like. That's going to be the the pretty wife, nice house, the good car, the exciting job, the good pay, pretty little kids that never get sick. And that's what we're kind of looking at. And he's like, yeah, you want your best. Okay, I'm going to give it to you, but it's going to hurt really bad because I've got to break you down before you can see me because he is the very best that he wants to give us. Mm -hmm. If you ask God for his best, you get him. And in order for you to relate to God, you're going to have to see yourself.
0: I think of Drago and Rocky IV, I must break you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I, so, man, I, I feel like we're not flowing here because I keep going back to your show because I'm so intrigued between the dialogue we're having about how God breaks us and then how you were broken on this show. Uh, help me out here with this. You, so you were allowed to take 10 things only. Yes. Can you, can you
2: remember I, I, what those 10 things were? Oh, sure. Yeah, they, they had a list of 40 items we could take and probably 20 items on that list were things that no serious survivor would really want anyway. But I took a, a, a knife, an axe, a saw... A gill net, 300 yards of fishing line and 25 hooks, a steel pot for cooking, a sleeping zero-degree sleeping bag, a bivy sack, which is like a Gore-Tex cover that goes around. I have bivy. one. And um, missing an item. Oh, a ferro rod for making fire, like a sparker rod. Yep, yep. And then my 10th item, I was allowed to substitute an item of gear for an item of food, and I brought five pounds of pemmican. What is that? Pemmican's an, an American Indian, uh, Native American food where they would take uh, like a, like a buffalo and dehydrate it, okay, and grind it all up, and then mix 85 uh, percent ground up or powdered beef mixture with 15 percent powdered berry mixture, and they just mix that all up, then saturate it with rendered fat. So it's like a block of powdered meat which has been saturated with fat, and it lasts forever. And you it had, never-
0: and you had two and a half pounds of that left over at the end of the show.
2: Two and one six pounds. And yeah. how
0: much did you take? Did you start
2: five with five pounds? Oh gosh, five you
0: pounds. barely used. Ha- okay, wow. The Pemmican. Yeah, a- a over half. That is amazing. So you lasted sixty six days in the wilderness, and you had lost a lot of weight early on, but then you started to gain it back. And, and then it sounds like your 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 uh your experience ended really abruptly. That that maybe you weren't prepared for. Not prepared. That's a bad word, but it just kind of ended right when you found out you had won. What talk? Walk us through that.
2: Yeah, well. For me, it was the a long term survival situation like that kind of moves in stages. You have your initial burst of activity your first week on the ground is just back breaking labor you and with no food Now, i I took that pemmican at uh, that for me we were dropped off in uh, late September, like September twentieth, and I was thinking that pemmican was going to be my food source in November, December, so I wasn't oh, just wow. challenging that yeah, you know, I was there for the long term I wasn't going to leave and that you go through this initial burst of activity where you're just trying to set up fire, shelter and water and get you, get yourself into a stable camp and then pattern all your wildlife and understand what's going on in the cove with the tides coming in and out. And the tide there is like 10 feet every day. It just, you know, it's huge. And then you have to figure out where your food sources is and work out or and then work out, uh, strategies to get yourself fed. So it was a good week before I had even a semi decent meal in the bush. Mm. Um, and then, as your body goes into starvation mode, you start losing weight rapidly. On day 24, they came out and weighed me, and I had lost 25 pounds. Wow. That's starting at about 195, I believe, and then I, I was down to about 100, and uh, I got down a total of 160 pounds Whoa. out there. That was like my minimum weight. And about day 30, I kind of things kind of turned around for me, and uh, I started getting into uh, fish and crabs more consistently, uh, developing much more efficient ways of living, of, of making my fires and, and, and things like that. And, I, yeah, I turned the corner. By the end of it, I was eating full meals every every evening and regaining weight from that 160. I bottomed out at 160, and I was, I was coming up from that. You know, I say you go out as an SUV, you come home as a Prius, you know. <laughs> that you, you go out with, you know, you're, all, you're bulked up. And I was before I left, I was running and lifting and eating like a horse to try and get as much body as I possibly could. And I put on about 10 pounds before I left. They'd been like 185, and I pulled on that weight. But then you lose it so rapidly. But as you're losing that weight, you're losing muscle mass. Your body is consuming less energy. And you're also becoming more efficient at what you're doing out there. And, uh, yeah, you, you use, use less energy, and you don't need to use as much.
0: So it sounds like you, were, you started in survival mode, but you ended up in thrive mode.
2: Uh, I wouldn't say thrive. I, thriving to me in the wilderness would be to have a large stock of food. To have, you know, 15 okay. fish fried or whatever and, and have that as a, as a buffer. I had as a buffer, my Pemmican. Okay. You know, I, I had, if I, I rationed that Pemmican, uh, if I, if I went 48 hours without eating anything, 48 hours of fasting, I would entitle myself to a one sixth pound portion of the Pemmican melted in the pot with some, a little bit of seawater, some fresh water and some bulk kelp and make like a a Stew out of that, and that would that was my break fast every 48 hours. So, if I got a meal out of the cove, if I got some fish and crabs, or whatever that would reset that 48 hour clock. And at about the midpoint, I stopped tapping into that pemmican at all, and it was just sitting there. So, I had 13 meals of that left. They pulled me out on day 66. I could have gone to day 80 eating one of those six pound, one six pound portions until day 80 without even foraging. So, I had a little bit of a buffer, but to me, thriving. It, you know, thriving is a, is a place where you can take a day off if you want, where you can, you don't have to work so hard. You can have that. So I was definitely holding my own. I was on a plateau when they came and got me. So and what, I, I wasn't down. I wasn't, you know, thriving yet.
0: So, and I'm assuming that your main way of obtaining food was hook and line and net?
2: Well, yeah, there, there are two. In wilderness survival, there's Sarus really protein. three ways to. There's three ways to get food. There's the pickup food that would be like mussels and clams and things that aren't going anywhere. They're just there for the picking. There's uh active hunting and fishing you know with a bow or a, a fishing rod, and then passive hunting and fishing with traps and snares and lines in the water. Uh-huh. And you really have to employ all three of those as much as you possibly can in order to stay fed in the wilderness but the conditions in my cove were such that Quatsino Sound was driving all the all the waves are coming in off Quatsino Sound into my cove so every stray log was winding up in my cove all the the bull kelp from the kelp forest was churning in and coming into the beach so anytime I set up uh, hooks I lost seven hooks in my first two weeks my gill net would get filled with ripped up bull kelp every night and have to go out and clear that out in the morning and the only time I could work on those passive fishing systems was at low tide so I had to make a choice whether I continue to do those passive systems which were not functioning for me or just use that low tide time to get out to the reef or down my northwest coast and, and actively fish and active fishing and crabbing really was paying off for me i was eating very consistently doing that whereas if i spent time with the passive stuff the conditions were just not right and i was not eating and so
0: what took out the other nine contestants what what ultimately took them out was it lack of food
2: oh it's all different reasons um uh Desmond uh decided to bail out on day one. He got there and got uh bluff charged by a bear and it kinda of freaked him out and that was <laughs> enough for him. Done. Uh the next to go was uh Mary Kate, who hit her hand with an axe mm-hmm. uh, accidentally and severed a tendon in her thumb and she was medevaced. Oh gosh. Yeah. It's it's it, this ain't no practice world, you know. Yeah. This is the real deal. Things bad things do happen to good people on a loan for sure. Um the next uh, one to leave was Tracy uh, Wilson, who had a bear and mother and cubs in her camp one night. And uh, that kind of, that was enough for her. Um, then, uh, let's see. Randy Champagne and Mike Lowe both left on day 21 after that, uh, just by personal decision. And they're they're both extremely skilled people in the bush. Uh, they just decided that, that they would rather go home and not grueless thing out to the end um yeah but both of them are just amazing amazingly skilled and then uh, justin who was an army sniper he left on day 35 having felt that he had uh, proven thing you know his salt to himself and he just decided he wanted to go um after that it was the last the final four and we kind of slogged it out it was uh, nicole lapelian left on day 57 and as she puts it, her kids called her home, and uh, I have no reason to doubt her on that. You know, she—that's what she felt was happening, and that's why, why she left. She's extremely capable. She was doing fantastic. She was eating from various different sources, and I think she only lost eight pounds. That—that that tells you something. Oh wow! Right. Uh, Jose Amoedo uh, made a kayak. The man is so skilled; he made a kayak with a knife. Okay, talk about <laughs> talk about man card stuff, all right? Yeah, yeah. He built like you know, a Greenland style kayak out there with it with his knife and on day fifty nine he flipped it over and uh, he knew that he would be hypothermic by the evening and Ooh. had no way to dry out his leather boots that he was wearing. He's wearing like all of his clothes when this happened, which is all wool, and he just knew that he wasn't gonna make it. Um so he punched out on day fifty nine and that left Larry Roberts and I, and Larry is a very experienced woodsman from Minnesota, tough as nails. And uh, basically, he had exhausted the food sources he had access to and was starving it out. And uh, he pushed through starvation. I think his final four days, he did, probably didn't eat much of anything. And uh, he gave, it up on, uh, gave up on day 64, having left everything on the field. Absolutely. And uh, that left just me out there.
0: Wow, I'm excited to see that whole thing play out. We, we maybe we should go have a man binge day or something. So, so how does your faith? So you're alone, sixty six days. Yeah. I've never been alone in a living room sixty six days. So how does your faith play into your victory? How did did God speak any deep things to you on this journey, or did you have an epiphany? Or talk to me <coughs>
2: the the night uh, the night before we dropped off. Uh, I didn't sleep at all. I just lay there awake at night and. Uh, I got up about 4 o'clock, and I, one of the rules, you can't take any books, paper, pens, none of that. So I couldn't take my Bible. And uh, I got up, and I was reading my Bible, and I just happened to open up to Isaiah chapter 40. And uh, in the NIV, it says, comfort for God's people, at the end of the, the chapter title. I thought oh, I could use some of that. Now, I had memorized the end of this chapter a long time ago, but I didn't. I just forgot that those verses were there, right? So you come down to the end of the chapter, and he says... Uh, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Youth will grow weary and young men will stumble and fall, but those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings of eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And I broke down and wept. Mm. And I took out my Gore-Tex rain jacket and I took a pen and I wrote that verse on the inside of my hood, right over the top of my head. And I uh, that I quoted those verses back to the Lord. And that, that first month was just, it was like a 40 day fast almost, you know, that where you're working a 12 hour day, you're not laying in bed, taking it easy. You're working a 12 hour day and just the calorie intake. is so minimal that your body is just consuming itself at a rapid rate and being isolated. Your mind goes into like a, like a detox as well. All the stuff that you've repressed comes out. And I, he brought me to a place where I had this big catharsis about day day thirty. After about thirty days of this starvation forced labor <laughs> regime, he got me to the point where I was willing to deal with I, I began to separate out all the things that I had contributed to my divorce and the things that you know that really did belong to me. When you go through a divorce, you hear all about yourself. You know, you hear all about your failings and uh you're not you're not in the mode to listen. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I was in that mode. The Lord brought me to that place. And also, after dealing with those things, I had to deal with uh, a lot of really nasty, horrible, even criminal things that had happened to our family uh, in Brazil and work, feel all those things so I could forgive. And the Lord brought me through that that catharsis on the beach there. But because I was a believer, I knew that he would forgive me for my failings. But on the flip side of that, I also had to forgive a lot of people, people that I already thought I had forgiven. Mm. And It was after that that I felt light as a feather, you know, and, and here I, after that, it was like Huck Finn time. And the Lord just, he brought me to a point where I knew that I had to draw strength from him moment by moment. It wasn't just, Lord, help me this day. It was like, Lord, I have to split this log so I can make fire. Could you just hit it for me? You know, and he would just literally just talk me through simple tasks like that.
0: Wow. Well, you know, in the late first century, we had a movement, a monastic movement, that moved out of the cities and into the desert. We called these guys Desert Fathers, and they would go out into the wilderness and spend and just leave civilization, dig a hole in a cave and live in it, and they would uh, live that way. And and these guys really, it was a movement, a spiritual movement. W- what strength do you see in, in, in being alone for extended
2: periods of time with God? Well, if he's the one who's... I don't. I don't know if you can force his hand in that or not. I mean, for me, he had a very definite purpose for putting me out there, and I said that before the show. You know, in the pre pre launch interview, they they asked, you know, what what I wanted to, what I expected out there, and I said I expect to find freedom. You know, Mm. and I also know that God calls me into things. He's called me into this, and He has His purposes in it. And I knew that I had to. I, I don't normally fast. I'm not the guy that says, "Okay, I'm not that disciplined." and it, for to for me to go through that spiritually he had to put me in a in a situation like that where i had to fast and yeah. he he brought me through that fast he forced me into it he didn't give me any, he didn't give me anything to eat that first month really wow not much yeah that's few, true here and there. so you were, you know you you
0: obviously won the show entitled alone but it sounds like you weren't lonely so what in your opinion what's interest in being alone and lonely
2: Lonely, alone is is a condition where I am just here by myself. Lonely is a condition, I think, where you don't have anybody to be with. And there's, I think there's a difference in that, where uh, I can handle being alone no problem. And my kids said, Dad, we love you. We want you to do this. We want you to stay out there as long as you possibly can. Don't worry about us back home. We'll be fine. You need to do your thing. And I... the, uh, my kids gave me the freedom to do this. My daughter just walked in here. and <laughs> to me be a bunch of Brazilian cheese bread. All right. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not going to eat them while I'm talking. Um, to be... I prayed constantly out there, and I, I felt like I was in this two-way conversation all the time with God. You know, I wasn't hearing voices or things like that, but, you know, the illumination of my inner being the illumination of my spirit, you know, being in in union with his was definitely came to the forefront. There's no distractions. You only have yourself and your thoughts and your prayers. And then you, the world gets very quiet. You know, Mm -hmm. when you go to the wilderness, people say it's so quiet here. And that is, that's true, but only because you're comparing to this cacophony that we live in, this chaos, which is around us all the time. After a while, that forest is just as loud. And you you are now so sensitive that you're, your instincts are so on point. I remember fishing one time and hearing something off on the coastline, maybe 150 yards away, and knowing it was a mink running in the rocks before I looked. Just knowing a mink, you know, and, and I turned my head and there he was. And and it's just you get very in tune with things, and you're spiritually become very in tune as well. That in that quiet, in that solitude, there's an awful lot to hear if you're listening.
0: Yeah, and didn't you hear a lion ripping apart its prey and eating it?
2: Yeah, there's a mountain lion. <laughs> you ever have one of those dreams where you're, you're just drifting off to sleep and you, your dream startles you awake? You know, uh-huh. it was like that. I'm laying in, laying in my sleeping bag, just gone to sleep, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm awake. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Mountain lion. Yeah, it was a mountain, big cat ripping something apart. That, that, I dreamed that. And I'm sitting there. All of a sudden it goes off again, and he's like, it sounded like he's 100 yards away, like up, up the ridge from me. And I'm like, ooh, that's real. And I'm just listening to this thing, and you can hear the, you know, brush crashing and, and cat noises and stuff and this other thing squealing in pain. And and I'm sitting there thinking if it stopped a couple of minutes, I'm like, okay, but at least it ate. <laughs> it's not hungry. You know, uh-huh. it's not going to come down here looking for, you know, chubby white boy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you had, so what was your biggest fear when you were out there, man?
2: My biggest fear. I didn't like, I did not live in fear out there. I, honestly did not live in fear fear was not a predominant emotion i remember two times almost being swept into the ocean by waves and uh unfortunately they weren't out on film that would have been great you know to see me almost die <laughs> um but you know i i as a missionary in brazil there was bad things would happen around us all the time you know carjackings and home invasions and bullets have hit my home before you know And I just developed this attitude. Oh, that's one more thing that never happened in Brazil. Yeah. Okay. Like, oh yeah, well, that car cut me off and crashed and we almost died coming home, but we didn't. Hey, one more thing that never happened in Brazil. I'm not going to (laughs) carry the emotional baggage of that of what if, you know, what if, what if, what if you drive yourself nuts. Okay. What if a meteor comes and hits my house right now? Well, okay. I'd be dead. Yeah. I'm not going to worry about that. I did not live in fear out there. You live on, you live very alert. Yes, And And that's a different thing than fear. That's not an emotion. That's just a sensitivity, knowing that you're a prey species and that there are predators out there that could take you down. You're living alert and constantly on point with that, but not fear. Well, I I just know from personal
0: experience, fear is a factor. Uh, Fear does prevent a lot of guys from going out in the wilderness. And fear, it appears, took at least two people out of your contest. So it was a factor for others. Uh, just for you, not not so much. So here, so here's a question. You said uh, earlier in the podcast, isolated, your mind goes into detox. So yeah. I want to pull that into civilization for a second. Is that how do, how does that work for a man who's isolated in society from others that he should be connected to? Does isolation over a long period of time uh, actually act as a toxic element?
2: No, I don't I, I I don't I don't think the two things are the same. You know, okay, when you good, 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 good. When you are cut off from human contact, okay, it is a when there is nothing coming in, there's no radio, there's no TV, there's no internet, there's nothing coming in, not even music. You know, you are just completely in that taken out of the the, hum, the societal context completely. You're you you do not have to deal with anyone else. I don't have to care about anyone else in the world. It's the most self centered way to live in the world. Because all i got to do is take care of me today. Mm-hmm. And your mind isn't arguing with anybody. No one has any demands on you. There's no conversation going on. And your mind will drift to the, uh, the, the places that are kind of being rubbed raw in there. That person you have that grudge against you haven't, haven't forgiven or that, that failing you haven't dealt with or that sin that you haven't confessed. Those things will come to the surface and you, now your mind's like, hey, you know, nothing's going on? We're going to deal with this. Just like your own, your body goes into detox when you're fasting. Yeah. It gets all the toxins start coming out. Your mind is the same exact process. So it, now a person who is, who is lonely in their world and cutting themselves off or isolating themselves from society, but sitting there watching TV, you know, or whatever, it's not the same thing.
0: No, I agree with you 100%. I just was looking for clarification because I, I knew what you were saying. I just want our guys to – because men really struggle with isolation. Yeah. And so an isolation is a detriment uh, in society where they have options to have relationship. And so I thought that was really, really good. I appreciate that. So, hey, I, I want to close with two more questions. The first one is I, I'm going to go buy your uh, fall series of books. I love I love what you're writing about. You want to tell us
2: a little bit about that fall series? Yeah, the the Fall series is kind of a response to everything I hate about zombies <laughs> and zombie stories. I, I don't. How do they work? You know, and the other thing is we, I'm so tired of the, the hero being this guy who has everything together. He's got all the guns and the gear and the skills and the knowledge and the education and the background. He's just this guy who's just invincible. And is, what would it be like for a normal person to, to go through that? Okay, and then the other thing I can't stand in all these stories is how everyone is reduced to savages. They're reduced to these brutal animals, and that's how they survive. And as an instructor, having led people in the jungle, in groups, you don't, that doesn't work. Okay, that every man for himself, brutal, you know, you got to pull together. you got to rise to your personal best in the face of your personal apocalypse. So I wanted to write a story that brought those things out. So basically, it's a, a virus has wiped out 90% of the Earth's population, and the 10% that survive are psychotic. And my character wakes up in the midst of this, and he's in his right mind. He has to deal with everyone's dead except for the people that are trying to kill me as soon as they see me. And he's a, 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 a vet from Afghanistan. He's had two tours in Afghanistan. He, he, just as a normal guy, not some you know, super soldier, and uh, he has to make his way in this. And uh, there's a real twist on the zombie apocalypse because the other thing I hate is that the zombies are just part of the weather after a while in the story. It's hot, dusty, with staggering corpses. You know, and the the characters <laughs> just run through the scenario, popping people on the head. Then they get back to the real story, which is you know how they're living and surviving. So in this story, the zombies, which aren't actually dead, they actually become part of the cast. They're they they are very much a part of the story, and it's basically a vehicle for me to explore different things that are hard to talk about. I. Uh, in terms of politics, because my two main characters, uh, Nick is a hardcore conservative, uh, libertarian conservative. let's put him there. And Holly <laughs> is a typical East Coast liberal uh, pre med student. And yeah, these are the two main characters. And the two of them, when you strip away everything in society, all you're left with is your core values of who you are as a person. And there's core values, and we can't, it's, I guess they even say it, there's core values on the left which are actually valid. And there's core values on the right which are actually valid. And if we just stop screeching at each other, we'd realize that yes, yeah, some things we do better as a group and other things we have to do as individuals, you know, and 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 oh my goodness. And I get to do all that because I get to form this little society growing up with these values in the story and it's a lot of fun to write.
0: So it's so this this so there are more than just one there's more than just one person alive on this that's not trying to kill people then. There is a community well, of healthy to-
2: Trying not to give away all the spoilers. Okay, I'll
0: just – don't ruin the okay. – don't be a spoiler. So, hey, one last question, man. We're at the end of our time. I need about two hours with you because i got a ton of questions about this this thing. But I'm going to watch the series, and I'm going to read your books. But last question, here at the Man Card Podcast – and I actually wrote a book, literally wrote the book on the man card. That's the title of the book. All of our okay. stuff is about this five-fold definition of manhood – and here, here it is, protecting integrity, fighting apathy, pursuing God passionately, leading courageously, and finishing strong. Of those five, Dave, what resonates with you the most and why?
2: Finishing strong to me. That is, that is one of the things that—that's that, probably my greatest fear is that I'm not going to finish strong in life. Mm. That I'm going to you know just fizzle out at some point. And yeah, that's, that's one that—that's my fear. And and it's ironic, too, because everyone got, got to see me finish strong on alone. loan. You know, and what they forget is there I'm, I'm out there operating at 110 percent capacity, burning the candle at both ends to be able to do that, and I could not have done, continued to do that, and I don't normally live that intensely in my day-to-day life. Hmm. You know there are days where I just kick, kick back and watch TV, you know, and it, that's just the way it is. so yeah, finishing strong to me is, uh, is important and probably the thing I fear the most. Man, that's really
0: good. Man, I really appreciate you taking the time, coming on our show, impacting men, sharing your story, getting vulnerable. So thanks so much for coming on today, Dave. Thanks for having me. Hey, no appreciate problem, it. man. Hey, guys, you've been listening to the Man Card Podcast. Changing your world is the toughest thing you'll ever do. Maybe even tougher than 66 days alone. And I'll tell you what. We want to help you in your battle for manhood and your battle to become your best version. So here are three things we want you to do, guys. So imagine you're climbing a mountain, right? The bottom of the mountain, the base of the mountain. You need to enlist. Download our free app. Get our free stuff, our Man Card Podcast. Subscribe to that. Join the Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum for men. And the next level of the climb of manhood is to invest Spend the money and become your best version. Invest in yourself. Get stuff from our gear page, our resources, other organizations that you believe in, and become your best version through investing in your life. And the third thing, guys, is change your world. Get involved in championing the causes that you care about, whether it's the great hunt for God, whether it's some other ministry, whether it's your church, whether it's your community, whether it's a local sports and getting involved in helping your kids and their sports teams, whatever it is, guys, become champions in your journey to become your best version. Join us and build an army of men in the arena who are becoming the best version of themselves and changing their world because when a man gets it, Everyone Everyone wins. wins. Until next time, feel the wet sand of the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. This is
1: Dale Culver, and you've been listening to the Man Card Podcast. Has your man card been challenged today? If you hungry, the best version of you, then join the thousands of men around the country on our closed Facebook forum called The Men in the Arena. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of manhood. Also, make sure you ask about our newest equipping opportunity called the Man Card Weekend with the men in the arena. Let us inspire the men of your organization to become the best version of themselves today. And don't forget to purchase a copy of Jim's new book, The Man Card, Five Characteristics Separating Men from Boys. This is the best book out there that defines what a man is and does. In it, Jim combines his master storytelling abilities with his no-holds-barred style, distinguishing between men and boys. If you want to keep your man card, then pick up a copy of this life-changing book today. Simply go to the Great Hunt for God app or mancardpodcast.com and pick up a copy today. Thank you for listening to this episode the man card podcast this is dale culver signing off until next time join our army and become the best version of you get in the arena let the world feel the full weight of who you are grind it out be a man